Well, thank you, Joanne, for leading us in worship today. Will you pray with me? Come, God, be among us. Gather us in, in faith and in hope and in love. Come, God, and speak to us that we may hear your voice and respond. Come, God, and equip us for the journey you have set us on. Come, God, and be our company in this journey of faith. Amen. When God makes a promise, we stay on the journey. When God makes a promise, we stay on the journey. That's what both of our readings, at least to me, are about today. That story of Sarah and Abram, that promise that God made with him of the children as many as stars in the sky and a land that uh, they wouldn't know for generations what was promised to them. God made a promise and they stayed on the journey. And in the waters of his baptism, God called Jesus, my beloved. And Jesus stayed on the journey. And now we journey in the season of Lent with Jesus to Jerusalem. I asked David if we could, uh, during Bring and Sing today, we, we sing our favorite hymns. And one of my favorite hymns was always 451. So I said, can we make that the last one? So thank you, Kim. <laughs> Thank you. Be now my vision. That's an Irish hymn, an Irish tune, and Irish words, and it's our heritage. It was everybody's heritage today. On March 17, everybody's Irish, so that is our hymn of heritage. Do you know the date March 17, 461? March 17, 461. It's the death date of St. Patrick the death date that we celebrate St. Patrick. And this tune, Be Now My Vision, was from an ancient hymn that was entitled Slain. It was an 8th century Irish melody, and that melody is named after a place, an event called Slain Hill that happened around 433. And the tradition was that the ruling king of that time, High King Loger of Tara, had decreed that no one was allowed to kindle a fire until Loger had lit his to announce the start of the pagan spring festival. Nobody could light up until the king did. However, St. Patrick defied the royal order and he lit candles on the eve of that festival. And the king, the king was so impressed at Patrick's defiance that he pardoned him and he allowed him to continue his missionary work in Ireland. And Patrick went on to convert 100,000 people, established 2,000 churches. And I'll tell you, that's no small feat for a boy who was kidnapped by pirates and sold into slavery in Ireland, St. Patrick. Another date, does anybody know what happened on December 14, 2012? December 14, 2012. Anybody remember? Steve. December 14, 2012. Uh, something happened. Anybody remember the town Newtown? Anybody remember the town Newtown? Think about it. That was six and a half years ago. Think. Think, think if you had lost a child, especially in that way, how long would six and a half years be? Would it be 16 years? Would it be 26 years? 60 years? 
certainly it would be a lifetime, wouldn't it? What happened this week? Did you catch the story in the New York Times? Sandy Hook massacre, Remington and other gun companies lose major ruling over liability. Did you see that? See that story? The judges wrote, it falls to a jury to decide whether the promotional schemes alleged in the present case rise to the level of illegal trade practices and whether fault for the tragedy can be laid at their feet. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means that ordinary people like you, like me, ordinary people, not a political party, not the NRA, not the gun manufacturer lobby, but 12 ordinary people just like us for the first time are allowed to make a crucial decision. 12 ordinary Americans will decide whether gun companies can make military-grade automatic weapons and then sell them to any civilian who wants one bear any responsibility for the killings take, that take place in our country. Shootings, killings, massacres that tragically happened in New Zealand on Friday, in mosques, in Christchurch community. Finally, finally a crack. Finally, a step forward after so much frustration, so much setback. But what was the human story of Newtown? What was the human tragedy that took place in the lives of those children, in the lives of their families? What do you remember? What, do you, what, 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 what kind of hope can remembering give us? Two of those plaintiffs were Francine and David Wheeler. Do you remember those names? They lost their son, Ben, that day. So let me just share a bit of their story in their own words. David's first. The father says, Ben, Ben was full of energy. There was nothing on his dial between 1 and 11. He'd wake up in the morning at full speed, and he'd stay full speed until he finally decided to close his eyes and hit the pillow. You know, it was astonishing, he said. I've seen him fall asleep mid-sentence. Hmm? Francine, the mother, said, no, it's true. I don't think you can meet someone who loved life more than our Ben. My father always said, Ben lives 10 years for every one. That morning I said, all right, guys, we got to hurry up, get the dishes in the dishwasher because I got to get Nate to school. And I asked Ben, do you want me to drive you back home to catch the bus or do you want to get a treat with me at Starbucks? Of course, he said the treat. But before we left, we were rushing to, to load the dishwater washer. Ben asked me, out of the blue, he said, Mom, Mom, what does forgiveness mean? And I said, well, it's kind of like when somebody does something wrong to you and, and, and you forget about it. And he said, oh, and that was it. I didn't think anything more about it. David said, I'm not done being Ben's father. I'm still the father of two boys. And while Ben and his classmates have been memorialized in many kind and loving ways, I've, I've come to understand that there's only one memorial that 
matters to me as Ben's father. And that's, that's how I live my life from here on out. And part of that is sharing our story and talking about how I think we as a society should move on from here. And that path forward, it's not easy, is it? Not my life, how about your life? That path forward often has not been easy. For this family and other families affected by this tragedy, there was setback after setback. In fact, David and Francine became the focus of a cruel conspiracy theory that their son's death was, was just a lie. It was a, it was a hoax that was planted by some anti-gun lobbyists. Their own lives, the lives of their other son, Nate, were threatened. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine losing one son to a massive shooting and then having to live with the threats to the life of your other child? But they fought on, and they fought on, and they lost, and they lost. Legal battle after legal battle, legislative battle after legislative battle. Do you remember the words that Senator Joe Manchin gave that back then? Senator Joe Manchin, when he, when he gathered with the Sandy Hook families on that day in January, he wanted to talk with them. He wanted to give them some basic understanding of gun policy and politics. Now, these, were, these are smart. These were educated people. And they assumed that in the wake of this, this horror, Congress would do something, would pass some long overdue gun safety measures. But Congress just didn't have the courage it took to step up. Congress wouldn't pass it. The House wouldn't even consider it. And Joe Manchin said that when I broke this news to the families, one of the mothers let me know gently, firmly, that I'd screwed up. Don't tell us what can't be done because we just aren't prepared to hear that, she said. Tell us that it could take time, which we can accept, because we're in this for the long haul. And tell us what we can do now to honor the memory of our children. And finally, finally this week, six and a half years later, they have changed the landscape. Let me ask you again. How long was six and a half years in the lives of these parents? 16 years? 26 years? 60 years? Probably all three and more. But they did not give up. They did not flinch. They were moved forward by a vision of justice and safety for their children, for their communities, for our society. Some of them were religious, some of them were not, but they moved forward in, by faith in something. Something that kept them on that long, uncertain, arduous path for a long, long time. I wonder, I wonder what keeps you moving on your path? 
the challenges you accept, the problems you face, the setbacks you might experience, the doubts you have, the aches you hold, the hope you cling to, the courage you demonstrate, the faith you seek to live out. What keeps you moving forward? What keeps us moving forward? Let me share another story, just briefly. Another date. So what happened on March 15, 2019? Now, that wasn't too long ago. Today's, what, 17th? <laughs> March 15, 2019. I knew this was going to happen because my son gets the Rolling Stone. Okay? He gets the Rolling Stone, but he gets it at my house. So that tells you I get to read it, at least first. And the cover of this Rolling Stone says, Women Shaping the Future, and it's got women in the house, uh, uh, seasoned and new leaders. Um, and the issue is just filled with all kinds of story of promising women leaders. And tucked in there is the story that caught my heart. A story about, at that time, a 15-year-old girl story about Greta Thunberg. Thunberg. Anybody see that story? Greta Thunberg, it was the end of a record-hot summer in Sweden last August, and 15-year-old Greta Thunberg decided she was not going back to school. She was frustrated by the lack of attention paid to the existential threat of global warming. And so, she set up shop outside the Swedish parliament, bottle of water, rucksack filled with books and snacks, and this homemade sign that said, school strike for climate. School strike for, now, there's been a whole lot of strikes lately of teachers and educators because of the needs that schools and children and educators have. But this, is, this was a single, solitary stand. And in her words, she said, I tried to bring, bring people along to join me, but no one was really interested. But she wasn't alone for very long. Because her strike began to draw the coverage of Sweden's biggest newspapers. And as reporters would gather around, she'd hand out flyers bearing this message. She said, you grown-ups don't give a shit about my future. Let me say that again. You grown-ups don't give a shit about my future. All right. And supporters would drop by on their, on their lunch breaks and join her. And she became this unexpected founder of an international youth movement. And since that summer, tens of thousands of students in 300 cities from Australia to Uganda to the United States have joined her Fridays for Future protest. And in Belgium, at the end of January, more than 30,000 students walked out of classes. Her truth-telling caught fire after she spoke to the United Nations climate talks in Poland, where she called out a room of statesmen, telling them, you are not mature enough to tell it like it is. Even that burden you leave to us children. 
And by the middle of last month, tens of thousands of climate change activists in more than 112 countries had organized to skip school on, what was that date again? March 15, 2019. And what was anticipated to be one of the biggest environmental protests in history. The Guardian magazine published this manifesto last week. We are the voiceless future of humanity. Now we will make our voices heard. On March 15, we will protest on every continent. Hmm. Hmm. But what happened? What happened on Friday? What happened on Friday is two global threats collided. A gunman carrying an automatic weapon, a military-style weapon designed for no other purpose than to cut down as many humans as possible, killed 50 people at two mosques in New Zealand. What happened? What collided? Religious hatred, white nationalism, the failure of gun control, corporate greed, consumer apathy, climate change collided. The long-planned, brilliantly organized student protest designed to raise consciousness throughout the world received almost no attention. Its purpose was thwarted by another tragedy. Using a weapon of human destruction that those parents of Sandy Hook have been seeking to outlaw for six and a half years. Do you think Greta will stop? Do you think she'll stop? No. Greta Thunberg has been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. I hope she wins. I think she will. Hear her, her words. You can't really stand up for something without walking the walk. That's what I'm doing. On the journey, isn't she? So again, this journey of faith is long and arduous. The journey of faith requires courage in the face of dangers. The journey of faith requires conviction that challenges the wrong. This journey requires faith in God that sustains our hope, that empowers our love. This journey requires vision that sees our way forward. This, story, this journey requires our stories that move us in heart and mind, that bind us together in common identity and cause. This journey means we, we go together, we seek together, we serve together, we save together, we celebrate together. These are the stories of our lives. Whether they be ancient ones about Sarah and Abraham and Jesus going to Jerusalem, or stories about Sandy Hook, or Christ Church in New Zealand, or little Greta standing up and speaking with courage that we don't have. These are the stories of our lives, stories that we share as part of our heritage. These stories give us vision for our hope, vision. Be now my vision, 
O God of my heart, nothing surpasses the love you impart. You my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping, your presence, my light. We are on the journey. We are on the journey. When God makes a promise, we stay on the journey. Thanks be to God. Amen.